everyone to the next edition of Spinster vs. Spinsters. And today it is the battle of the sequels. And the sequels up for debate are Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors, and Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master. <laughs> I'm dressed for the part. I've got my Freddy sweater, got my hat, got my glove, and I'm ready to do battle. Time, bitch. <laughs> for this, uh, this, uh, this battle royale, I guess, the way Kelly keeps uh, promoting it on social media. <laughs> you know, I like to have fun with these. And mm-hmm. so. If you don't already know, I've talked about my favorite sequel on The Pod and the Pendulum in our Nightmare on Elm Street episode of the the podcast. I expressed my sincere adoration for the sequel, and I also wrote about it for the website. I was also going to say, if you also follow Kelly on social media, you will also know how much she loves this movie. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street sequel is The Dream Master. Terror is. Hello. Do you live here? Nobody lives here. Real terror. How long has it been since you've been on Elm Street? Welcome to a brand new nightmare. He is the first in fear. Second to none. Don't let them put you to sleep. He has no mercy. And no evil. Now no one sleeps. Get ready. This August, your wildest dreams will come true. How sweet, fresh meat. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 4. The Dream Master. And for me, because I am the quieter sister and I'm not the one that always, that shouts out everything <laughs> that I love, I actually prefer Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. on his right hand. Man of my dreams. He's real, isn't he? He's real. Go of him, you bastard.
So first off, Jess, a brief summary of why does this sequel stand out to you and why do you love this one so much? And then I think let's get into like the nitty gritty of the the differences between them. Okay. I was like, it's like, how can I summarize this up? I'll summarize this in this one line that I have in one of my notes and then I can go into more detail later on. But for me, I feel like this film closes out the Freddy Krueger storyline perfectly. We get the main story closed out. We get, you know, Freddy is uh, supposedly killed by the final girl, Nancy Thompson. She has returned. And even in her final act, she was able to bring Freddy down. And I just feel like it just encompasses this beautiful story. This beautiful story is not really beautiful. Ooh. But this story of a vengeful spirit, Freddy Krueger, coming after and seeking revenge on the children of the parents who killed him. But then really they're seeking out justification of why they have to kill him themselves right because if he was a child murderer slash pedophile whatever so to me i just feel like it closes out the story perfectly excellent do you have any like special connection to it and that's what kind of draws you into it uh <laughs> well i we, don't know <laughs> See, uh, i was like do you I'm like, well, this is, this is, then this is where the podcast goes from fun to serious. Um, being a child who has molested growing up, I like to see people who get their just desserts in the end. So, Wow. <laughs> it got dark, folks. Okay. It, it got, got dark. dark. But then she laughed. So we're okay. We're okay. For me, again, briefly, and then we'll get into it. Um, I grew up with Nightmare on Elm Street as an entire franchise. It's, it's I, essentially my favorite horror franchise, especially of the 80s. And Nightmare on Elm Street 4 always stood out to me just in my in my memory of my nostalgia of growing up. That was just the one I always watched. I think it has a lot of heart, has a banger soundtrack. It's really fun to watch. It's really, really interesting. It's beautiful to watch. And it's just a whole lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And for me, I feel like what was started and created in Dream Warriors was then perfected in the Dream Master. Ooh, that's the whole thing because I've got some things I want to talk about. Okay. okay, so that's our brief synopsis, I guess, summary of our favorite. And I guess I wrote down like a bunch of like key points of things mm-hmm. that we can talk about. So let's say the movie opens and I think Nightmare 4 has an incredibly well done emotional, cool-ass opening. (laughs) Okay. Even though it doesn't really make a lot of sense, I understand that having Freddy just resurrected by flaming dog piss in a dream doesn't make any sense, but he's a hellhound, and it's rad as fuck. (laughs) Okay, but is he? So that was my question. So I actually took a note down, and I said, how does fiery dog piss bring Freddy back to life? And my question was, was it because Freddy was possessing the dog and by peeing the dog released Freddy Krueger back into his grave? <laughs> and now you're saying he's a hellhound. <laughs> I don't know. Nobody knows. Rennie Harlan, the director, also didn't know. He just thought it was cool as fuck to do. And I agree. <laughs> it, it does lead to questions. And like I said, it made me be like, well, maybe Freddy was possessing the dog and then the dog released Freddy and there we go. Maybe. Explains the fiery dog piss. <laughs> <laughs> okay Hmm. (laughs) Um, and then I'll say okay let's go on to premise okay I like I really like what you said about it being kind of like a little it's kind of like a trilogy even though Nightmare 2 
is really its own kind of nightmare. It's its own mm-hmm. story, its own kind of initial, like, separate solo thing. I do like what you said about it kind of like ending Nancy's story until we get to New Nightmare. But ending that kind of story in a really, like, thoughtful, poignant, interesting way. Yeah, well, because it brings, and that's what I, I love about that, is, is we get our final girl, she comes back, and she has her, like, she also kind of, exactly, yeah, she has her final moment, but what I love about it is that when Nancy returns, she is as determined and as strong as ever. From the get-go, she is confident when she comes upon the scene of Kristen having her meltdown, and she's able to calm her down. She And just like all throughout the movie, Nancy is on point. And it's amazing because she even says at one point in the group therapy, she's like, you know, I dealt with this six years ago when he came around. I'm like, this was only six years later. I'm like, you are doing (laughs) really well for yourself. Like in terms of- Yes, yeah, yeah condition you're like you should be suffering PTSD and just kind of be but she's like nope I control my dreams I control my life and she doesn't freak out I even love like the first time she gets pulled into Kristen's dream what is yeah. you she reacts she attacks the beast she attacks Freddie stabs him in the eye and then she grabs Kristen and doesn't even let her shock keep her like oh my god what's going on trying to figure out she's like yeah Kristen, go you brought me in here get me out of here like and usually in situations like that our main character's like, how do I get in here? How do we get out? We're lost. We're, we're now going to figure out how we get out of here. And Nancy's like, no, no, no. I know how all this shit works. Gets me out of here. Like, she is a survivor through and through from the minute, her yeah. first minute on scene to her final act when she stabs Freddy. So it's like, yeah. I would say, yeah, I, I love and agree that I think the main strength of Nightmare 3 is the fact that Nancy does return and she is as determined and as steadfast and confident and self-assured and practical and um she troubleshoots really well like you said she reacts really well um she's proactive let's say and she's like less reactionary more pro- uh, proactive so that definitely i think is the huge maybe for me personally the main strength of of dream warriors okay what do you think is the like okay what do you feel is like the main strength then of are we still talking about Dream Warriors and we want to drop in back and forth? Like, how do you want to do this? Well, well, we were kind of talking about premise and we kind of got into to Nancy. So I love that it does, like, I love that Nightmare 3 ends kind of that story. Then it brings in the new batch of Elm Street kids. And that's what it's like, right? We have our continuing characters, uh, Kristen, Kincaid, and Joey. And as per Slasher rules, you all have to die now. And so they do, but that's, you know, using Kristen's really fantastic, unique power brings in the new blood. And I like that because it kind of freshens things up a little bit. We got these new kids that are, in my mind, so incredibly likable. Mm -hmm. Those those characters are so well written, I think, and well developed and just also very interesting. And I think we definitely talked about this over at the pod in the pendulum um, that they're this wonderful cast of like misfits that in reality would never be friends with each other. You know, the nerdy girl wouldn't be friends with, you know, Debbie our like tough fitness girl wears a leather jacket you know in reality those people wouldn't really be meshing they'd have their own little cliques Mm -hmm. and that's kind of where they would stay Kristen as our like hot popular girl they just wouldn't get together
together. And I love that they do. And it's like just normalizing that kind of situation. And everybody has such wonderful chemistry. So premise wise, I feel like I like the premise of both. But with everything else that I love about Nightmare 4, that's definitely like one, just one of the things that, that I enjoy a lot is just like this new fresh blood it feels fresh. Whereas I feel like three is a little, when I was watching it today, I was like, it's kind of cheesy. <laughs> Nightmare 3, really? I think I find it cheesy. cheesy. Okay, so I think Ooh. Nightmare 4 is cheesy. Okay, so I find Nightmare 3 cheesy. You know, mm. we got our fighting skeleton. The score at times is just like a little over the top and cheesy. And like Nightmare on Elm Street, it's a rubber reality, so it's going mm. to be a bit cheesy, fantastical. But I feel like Nightmare 4 is just more rooted in reality for a rubber oh. reality horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think the total opposite. I think Nightmare on Elm Street 4 is a little bit more too, uh, almost like a Freddy becomes too much of a caricature. And it's like, yeah, his kills are more imaginative, but they are more like unrealistic in the sense of, you know, the way that, the kids are just letting themselves like fall asleep. Like they don't seem to really be trying too hard not to fall asleep. They just keep happening and they're like not defending themselves. Whereas at least in like, you know, we, we figured it out in one, you know, Nancy's like, don't fall asleep. And she's trying to convince all her friends don't fall asleep. But then in three, all the kids know, don't fall asleep or we are mm-hmm. helpless. We need to fight. Yeah. We need to figure out how to stay alive. And so in the fourth one, I'm like, these kids are just literally just can father. Like they're just lining up for Freddy and just making it fun for him. And the only person who's trying to be like, don't fall asleep is Alice because she mm-hmm. figures it out. It was Freddy. Enough with that crap. I saw it. It was my dream. I brought Sheila in. Oh God. Yeah, I did notice when I was rewatching three today that there is that there's an aspect of three that I find, even though I think it's more cheesy, it has a little bit of a more serious tone at the same time. And like, you really do feel the fear in those kids, which I enjoyed. So there is that element of heart that I think both films have. But you do see that fear, you know, that scene with Kincaid where he's like, don't you sedate me. No, I'm not falling asleep. No, I'm not going to do this. And everybody's freaking out because mm. the, the puppet making kid, I'm sorry, I forget his name right now. Philip. But like, he, yes, Philip, he has just killed himself and like mm. shit's getting crazy and everybody's already scared and now it's just escalating. And I hear you on that for sure. I think that because everybody thought Kristen was kind of nuts, unfortunately, though they were all friends with her in in Nightmare 4, they didn't really believe her. Even though there were people that went through this with her, they all thought they were kind of spooky, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they just didn't really believe her until, like, unfortunately, much later on when some of their friends start dying. To your point about him being a character, welcome to primetime, bitch. And he's in a TV? (laughs) That is, he starts being a character in part three, and then for like the rest of the series, he's this wisecracking, you know... Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I will not disagree with that. I, I did say in my, like, my first comment about Might Number Elm Street 3 is this is when we start getting that killer puns from Freddy, and he starts doing it, and then, you know, and they get, they get more cheesier later on, especially in 5. There's so many of them. 5 and 6. 6 is just, like, off the rails. Um, yeah, they yeah. just, like, they're like, this is, we're going to be ridiculous. He's going to use a power glove, so it's... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
But at least like with three though, it's he's still, there's still that dark element of Nightmare on Elm Street there that we saw in the first one. And I remember bringing that up, like, you know, Freddy still remains scary. Like he's in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, I'm still afraid of Freddy because A, we learn more of his backstory. We learn about, uh, you know, being the bastard child of a hundred maniacs because his mother was raped so many times. And mm -hmm. another thought too, when you went back to how like Kincaid was talking about like that actual fear, I started getting to like more like critical analysis brain and be like, wow, this movie is like a, you know, a representation of what happens to, you know, um, you know, teenagers in when they're in like, you know, mental wards at the time, like how they weren't believed and like how they weren't believed and they're forced to sleep. I love when uh, they call out Dr. Sims in the group session and they're just like, everything you're telling us is a bunch of bullshit. You literally, and like Philip is like saying, like you're saying this, saying this, we're going to re regurgitate the same shit you want to hear from us each time, but that's still not helping us. And then yeah. The orderly coming on to Taryn, showing how mm -hmm. the truth of how in like those types of situations, young mentally unstable women would be prey to men of that type who want to, you know, use their addiction or use their mental illness against them to get something out of it. And I was like, oh, wow, that's actually really upsetting. It was very disturbing now when I think of it that way. Yeah. This is not the critical thinking episode, Jess. So <laughs> shut your brain off. Shut it off. <laughs> no, but that's, that's, it is really important. It is a very dark sequel there they touch on some really like unsettling themes that you know mm -hmm. probably should be trigger warnings and content warnings for for folks watching dream warriors a hundred percent though nightmare four has my favorite freddy line of all time and that's Joey, Joey falling prey to women every time. Yep. Every time. Like, you think you the first time. Nope. Yeah. Don't engage with women in your dreams ever. Don't you dare. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's interesting. So I agree with you. Uh, Nightmare 4 does have the better soundtrack than Nightmare 3 in terms of the music. However, I did note that it makes the movie feel like it has many music video moments. Yep. But there's more focus on aesthetics and like these scenes where like this music's playing for a while and it's like this whole like workout scene with Debbie or Ricky's like fight scenes. Um, or it's Rick, not Ricky. Thank you. Rick, sorry. sorry Rick. <laughs> Rick's fight scene. Like, you know, like mm -hmm. there's these scenes that are just like, it's like a music video. And I'm like, wow, this is really going for a while. A hundred percent. And you're either going to like that or you're not going to like that. And for me, I fucking love it. That soundtrack, oh. like as we know, our 80s horror playlist is pretty much the entire higher nightmare for a soundtrack that is true that's true you know and you dream also warriors has dream warriors which is like the more iconic song so i'll give it that and a music video but it doesn't have an entire soundtrack in the entire movie that is fucking awesome <laughs> um, what about the freddy krueger rap at the end of the credits <laughs> what the fuck was that <laughs> Perfect for the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? Honestly, I'm not surprised that you loved it because, like, you really like Slumber Party Massacre 2, and that's yep. literally the same thing. Like, just yep. video scenes. <laughs> there is a common theme here <laughs> in sequels that I enjoy that are tonally very different from the original. I know this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hello, Mary Lou Prom Night 2, Pet Cemetery 2, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2. There yes. is a theme and aesthetic and a thing that I like. <laughs> so then my question is because like i said i feel like nightmare on elm street 3 it ends the series ends stories yeah. like it ends freddy's story really like well nancy's story in his origins 
In Nightmare 4, and we'll see later on 5, Freddy starts to change. And this is what my question came up. Is Freddy Krueger no longer uh, a vengeful spirit, or is he now a dream demon? It's a new, it's a whole new thing. Again, okay. Nightmare 4 does not fit the canon. Again, Rennie Harlan, who directed this and helped put it together, was just like, whatever. He threw caution into the wind. Mm-hmm. and knows it's not canon, but brings, and this is a big point that I love about it, it brings us whole, even though it's not entirely fleshed out well, new mythos to the character of Freddy. Instead mm-hmm. of just being this, like, vengeful spirit that comes into your dreams, he is, yes, he's like this, the gatekeeper of dreams, the the guardian of bad dreams, mm-hmm. and, yeah, he's more of, like, this demon kind of nightmare dream creature, which yeah. doesn't fit with a canon, but I love it. I love that they built this mythos into this movie, and along with the, the whole idea and concept of mirrors, and I am definitely writing about the mirror aspect of this movie at some point. Okay, okay. Because <laughs> it's fascinating, because Alice and Freddy's arc in the in the movie, if you want to give Freddy an arc, um, mm-hmm. are directly parallel to each other. He is, you know, he is an evil being, and his reflection is so disgusting and bad and negative and demonic and evil that his reflection will kill him. Whereas for Alice, she covers her mirror the pretty much the entire time because she doesn't care to see herself. She doesn't want to see herself. She's not mm-hmm. very secure. She's not confident. She's very mm-hmm. shy. Mm-hmm. Very introverted, mm-hmm. very inwards. And then as she be- she gains the abilities and gains her confidence, she sees her- that final wonderful montage of her getting ready to face Freddy. Mm-hmm. The mirror is completely open. It's uncovered. And her reflection in the mirror is powerful and gives her strength. And I just love that kind of like dichotomy between them. So in Nightmare 4, you have that wonderful concept of dreams and being gatekeepers of that. And then, you know, the aspect of our internal selves being reflected back to us through mirrors and that can either destroy us or it can empower us. Love that. Yeah, that's great. Alice gets bangs. She becomes more confident. Her bangs are always there. Her hair was just always greasy and it was always off to the side. But when you become more powerful and confident, you wash your hair and you put your, just let the bangs fly. The bangs fly. Yeah. That would make sense. I, I like it. To me, I just feel like Nightmare on Elm Street 4, I walk away with more questions than answers. Mm-hmm. And I'm asking because like you said, it's a new batch of Elm Street children, but these children are not connected to the original reason why Freddy Krueger was killing the Elm Street children to begin with. And so now I'm just like, okay, so he's a dream demon and has realized that he gains power from the children's souls and that makes him more powerful and thus, you know, he's going to havoc on the world, right? So, yeah. Yeah, like we, and we end up getting two different Freddy Kruegers. We get this dream demon and then we get the vengeful spirit. Absolutely. And again, mm-hmm. like, if you're going to be somebody that's going to be more of like a purist and you really want to keep within canon, Nightmare 4 is not going to be for you. Absolutely. Like, fair enough and that's why yeah. to me like sometimes I, I think of like Nightmare 4 and 5 to be like the side quest Freddy's side quest from his <laughs> main quest like if like say like those ones came earlier and this is what like Freddy was doing in the off season while Nancy yeah. <laughs> Charter and stuff like that just terrorizing another group of children <laughs> oh boy so I've been really pumped up for this battle for quite a while mm-hmm. and I knew that my case was really really strong it's strong. It's gonna win. But but we're talking I, two different. We're talking two different movies. Two different Freddies now. We yeah. are. However, I brought backup. Are you serious? Is someone ganging up on me? Are you? Wow. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Nick is here. Surprise. Hello. Surprise. 
Oh god, I can't put my glove back on. I'm being ganged up on. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So folks that's listening and maybe not watching this, Nick Benson is now here, who did special effects work on Nightmare on Elm Street 4. So I brought him here to help (laughs) build my case towards Nightmare 4 being the best Nightmare sequel. Unless you disagree, Nick. Well, I can't disagree. (laughs) You're biased. Yes. I'm biased. I'm very biased. <laughs> when you get to do all those great and wonderful special effects on Nightmare 4, which I do enjoy. Like, I do enjoy that Freddy's kills and the effects become more interesting and more entertaining to see. I agree. Elaborate. Thank you. And Absolutely. being, I know I've talked about this before with Nick and everyone that I ever talked to about Nightmare 4, but the cockroach scene and Debbie's death in Nightmare 4 is my favorite. Besides Tina's death, the original, because it's bloody and brutal as fuck, Debbie's death is my favorite. It's, you know, it's very upsetting. It's really interesting. It's scary. It's pretty brutal. And it's just really disgusting. <laughs> no, I, I I agree with, like, with that too. Like, I even wrote that down. I'm like, Debbie's death always freaks me out every time I watch it just anything to do with the arms and that's why I like too like I even wrote in like Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Philip's death is very upsetting because of the, the ligaments and every oh no, Ugh, yeah it's anything to do with brutal. my arms yeah <laughs> I think there's somebody waiting that can uh that can kind of see both sides of this yes I have more backup coming <laughs> Fix your bangs, Jess. Thanks. <laughs> Hello, Mick. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, am I on? You are. Oh. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, we are recording this for our more um, exclusive. Posterity. <laughs> Yes, for our exclusive listeners and fans, but those that are just listening, McStrawn has joined in, and I wrote these notes because I thought I was going to get really excited and forget, and I have. <laughs> <laughs> McStrawn did, he was the production designer for Nightmare 4, and also the art director on Nightmare on Elm Street 3, so he can kind of go both ways in this debate. Right. <laughs> and just for anyone who's watching and also listening on the podcast version of this, I had no idea any of this was happening, so I feel oh. kind of ganged up on right now i feel like kelly is brought back oh, wait up. a minute wait a minute i just brought somebody that's done both movies that is this is both sides of the equation so we had just started talking about the differences between like the special effects of nightmare 3 and nightmare 4 and i'm the huge nightmare 4 fan yes so am i excellent uh, let me sum the two films up for you right by all measures nightmare on Elm street 3 is a better film i mean by every measure <laughs> Higher drama. Uh, the kill of Philip by itself is probably one of the best in the series. Very upsetting. Yeah. Uh, there were so many things about it that I, I mean, it's but it's a very heavy film, you know. And the thing about Nightmare on Elm Street Four is it doesn't pretend to be anything but just a way to deliver fast-forward heavy metal effects right into your head. Mm. <laughs> and it does it so well. That explains yeah. a lot about why Kelly likes it so much. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely, you nicely sum it up, right? Like you're just don't you in your face, heavy metal. It's very true. I feel like very said, seen. There's right very now. lot. Of, I was saying earlier, a lot of music video effects kind of happening in Nightmare on Elm Street 4, you know, music video moments. Well, you know, here, here's the funny thing is a lot of it also has to do with the nature of how they were put together as films. Mm. Because 
Nightmare on Elm Street 3 was a, it was a project of love by uh, Wes Craven and the, the people that were writing it and the script was like kind of put together and it was uh, it was kind of ready to go. In fact, I had worked on the effects of it, uh, on the uh, mechanical effects of it with Peter Chesney and we literally put the mechanical effects, you know, like uh, the walls uh, being broken out, the snakes going down, this, this, the Freddy snake, the mechanical part of it, not the snake itself, but mm -hmm. like a, the walls breaking and that sort of thing and how we were going to work with uh, with Joey and the blue screen, all the rest of that. All that had been worked out to a T before we started. And then, of course, Chuck Russell came along and changed everything at the last minute because Chuck Russell is a dick. And this is just <laughs> you and me, but Chuck Russell's a dick. I've worked him before. I know that guy. <laughs> a load of fun. <laughs> so that one kind of went together. and Everybody wanted to have the right director. They got Chuck Russell. But, I, I mean, they had to put together everything, and everybody had a marching order kind of thing because there were three things that we were really trying to achieve. We were trying to stop that that uh, backwards slide that we got with Nightmare on Elm Street 2 because that was more of you know what happens is is like the first one gets a certain the first one is great it's a new idea da, 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 right the first horror film but then the next one gets maybe 60% of that audience and then the next one after that gets 60% of that audience and on down the line and Bob Shea's question to all of us and, and me, because I was working on effects, and then I went on to, like, art direct it because it didn't really have a production designer. His question to everybody was, let's come up with different ways to do everything so that this is the best film we could make. And you had, so we came up with three basic things. As far as writing went, they brought in the idea that she can bring in more people into the dream, mm -hmm. okay? Which Freddie was was getting the Superman problem. And the Superman problem is this. Well, wait, let's ask Nick. Nick, what's the Superman problem? <laughs> Come on. Well, the Superman problem would be that he's just, he's controls everything. That's right. That's it doesn't go anywhere. Other. Yeah, they they you eventually have to go to sleep and then you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So the Superman problem was gotten around by making it so that she could bring other people into the dream and that they could get together to defend themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So that was basically that was one of the main tenets of three and four. Well, that was the one thing. The other thing is is that we're gonna let Freddie off the chain. Because Freddie character that Robert was playing had a deep, it was deeply scary. But here's the thing, Robert himself is a hilarious character. And his body movements and, and everything, the thing is, is he had vocal movements that went with those body moves. The guy was just, he was a natural entertainer. And so they kind of wrote jokes and, and let him come up with stuff. Like most of the stuff that was done in the studio, you know, with Jaja Gavor and stuff, that, that was mostly done right there on the scene, right? Um, and he was the one that was coming up with the lines and stuff. So we kind of let him off the chain. Then the other thing is we were going to bring it into the stage. Now, my concept was this. Let's stop trying to do this all on location and let's bring it for the most part onto a stage. We can make the dreams, uh, we can go a little further, uh, as far out as maybe $100,000 will let us. Because <laughs> we are the dream masters. Hey. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yes. See, and all of that heaviness, all of that, 
all of that weight and that you know, going along with a kind of a deeply religious script that created a very serious film that had a great sense of imagination. Then in February, we wrapped out the stages in in uh, uh, December. In January, we did the reshoots for uh, Nightmare on Elm Street three, and then <laughs> Bob Shay. <laughs> went out and got a release date for Nightmare on Street 4 in August, August 18th. <laughs> wow. And then they had it as a, a like 60-page outline just at the beginning of the writer's strike in February and said, here. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a movie. <laughs> here's a here's kind of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> and the only thing, so we just went and spent money. And we just had a play. I mean, there was so much that was written by, you know, like people that are on the crew and like, you know, the, the guy that took the trash out and anybody, right? But out of all that, you know, there's some great ideas. There were just some great ideas. You know, no great idea was turned down, and therefore, I never stopped working, yeah? They were like, <laughs> uh, they were like, well, this uh, junkyard sure seems to be getting big. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> How big should it be? Here, write it down. <laughs> well, one of, one, of the, one of the coolest things that I thought about four was that because of all of that, and that being that that was the situation with go, going into a, a writer strike and everything, and you had the structure of the story, that it was really a huge collaborative effort between talent, effects people, everybody to make this movie right. work. We didn't have a choice. There wasn't right. involved. So here's here's what everybody I say. collaborated I, to make this movie. Not, work. Nightmare on Elm Street Four was the best film that a crew ever made. <laughs> <laughs> totally. and I guess and I can see why I, Kelly would love it, right? Because that's her favorite thing. <laughs> group of people coming together to, to you know, to, to be Fight evil. evil. <laughs> it, was, it was this far short of uh, Judy Garland and uh, Mickey Rooney going, let's put our show. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to say is one of the things that, speaking of cinematography and usage of color, the, your background, Mick, has reminded me of this, but one of the things that I absolutely love about Nightmare 4 is that it is beautiful to watch. Like those dream sequences, the usage of color, the, of course, the reds and the greens, the Freddy mixed sweater. Ooh, yeah, there you go. All mixed beautiful. Yeah, we, we, beautiful. We, we went as far out as you could. And the other element of it, this great backdrop, because we had the brand new thing of rock videos to, to be looking directly at, you know, mm -hmm. including the fact that we had a guy, a little, a little known guy uh, by the name of Kevin Benson that was doing the music for it. And Kevin Benson was, one of the first guys that really went out into the real world and Craig Safan did the music for it, but Kevin Benson did the soundtrack for it. He went out and found bands that were just coming up and sucked them in and said, come on, you know, you got to be in this and, and, and figuring ways to bring them in for $5,000. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody got paid $5,000. <laughs> to bring a song to the table you know it was like eh. and that soundtrack we talked a bit about it earlier but what mm -hmm. a banger like that entire oh, yeah. movie oh, yeah. is fantastic with the oh, music yeah. selection so well done well done oh yeah Kevin is Kevin is amazing. Kevin has a great ear. Kevin Kevin was able to to uh, and he's a bullshit artist, you know. God, <laughs> God God knows God knows what Kevin told these people they were doing. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm sure 
<laughs> I'm sure that, you know, at least two or three of them thought that they were literally bringing here about world peace or, <laughs> or, or eight pounds of Coke, something like that. I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, there, was a, there was a deal there somewhere, you know? When they started to be the ones floating around. Yeah, you brought, yeah. yeah. World peace, Coke. <laughs> why not both? Yeah, why not both? <laughs> Ain't nothing says you can't do both. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Just don't do Coke and Ultra Slime. That's right. Ooh, Ultra Slime. <laughs> <laughs> What's Ultra Slime? Of course I have to ask. What's Ultra Slime? Oh, yes. my God. You want to hear a story about Ultra Slime? <laughs> Apparently, because we need to yeah, know the context of Ultra Slime. This goes back to the uh, cockroach sequence that we were in a moment a, ago. If you remember the cockroach sequence. We it, all do. And, 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 <laughs> Nick got an opportunity to torture Brooke. Brooke, yeah. Brooke, Brooke these, and I saw this happen many times. Is is like just would take like just a glob of that incredible. That's ultra slime. Ultra slime is weird. Ultra slime is not understandable. It comes with a big. <laughs> it literally says. We 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 got a fifty pound tub of it, right? And it's clear and. When you open the tub, and, and it's there are instructions there that say, before you open this, you have to have something that cuts with you in order yeah, to deal with it. Box cutter, scissors, it only cuts with box cutter or scissors or, or razor blade. Right. Now, how many liquids do you know that say, <laughs> have scissors handy? None. You know, it would but be like- you and bun. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh. You know, think of opening up your milk and pouring it out and then taking the scissors and going, that's enough. <laughs> oh my right. God. So this stuff is insane. I, I got 50 gallons of it and uh, I had gotten like one of those big construction drills with the huge paddle. You know, I mean, like literally the thing is like, like this long, put that hand up there, this, this long, and there's a paddle at the end of it, right? And, it should have been I, 50 feet long. <laughs> <laughs> little did I know. <laughs> So I had a, a kid, right, that was a, a PA that we had to get it ready for the night. I mean, literally, it had just gotten there. You have to understand how much this stuff cost back then. It was these days, even now when it's it's more common, you buy a little tiny container like this big and it's 30 to $50, right? Yep. So we had a 50 gallons of it. So I can say that we probably spent 10 grand on getting it shipped there and the cost of it, right? So that slime was $10,000, right? <laughs> so, so I leave the guy in the room right down from my office, like two doors down. And, and we literally, I put in a bunch of uh, dye in order to make it look that orange color that it was, right? Mm. Which was, by the way, incredibly close to the actual color. <laughs> That, that was oh, yeah. that was in the bottom of those things. And by the way, how amazing is you know those that little that little Roach Motel thing? We literally just called up Roach Motel and said, "Hey, we want to use your name." And they said, "Great, <laughs> <laughs> we'll Easy. send you we'll send you ten thousand boxes without the stuff in it." And they <laughs> did, and they were everywhere. <laughs> wow. So I knew exactly what the color had to be. And I, put in some food dye and I jammed back down to my office, right? Two <laughs> doors down. Just as I get, just, just as I get into my chair, all of a sudden I hear the screaming, oh my God, Mick, come oh. here quick. Oh, well, it was probably more like, oh, oh no. <laughs> I was like, well, what the fuck? And you know what? On Nightmare on Street 3 or, or 4 or either 3 or 4, it was just <laughs> not unusual for me to get screamed at like that because, hey, <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. I go, I 
tear out of my office. I go down the hall. I open the door, and here's what I see. There's a 50-gallon drum empty empty <laughs> the slime the pitch because of the pitch in the blades of the mixer it had sent because it has no surface tension that you know things that you learn about certain chemicals as things go along <laughs> whoops <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is this is like the oh yeah i'm gonna remember that so the blades sent immediately sent all 50 gallons of it right up the snoot of the mixer oh. and it enveloped him like in a cocoon what? put him like, in a cocoon of that shit what? oh little, my god little did i know that's why that's I said, oh. <laughs> Little did I know that Nick turned around and was working almost like nine months later. He was working on the blob with Chuck Russell doing the same thing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, just, I was going to say, I did it turn sentient and kill everyone? <laughs> oh, wait, we were working on a film. We weren't oh, I'm, sentient. I'm thinking about the, the years of therapy that PA had to go through. <laughs> oh, my oh my God, I can imagine. Because, so then he's just literally the whole thing. It's just one big blob around him, right? Yeah, and I'm trying to clear it so his face is so that I can like comfort him because I don't want him to fucking just go running around and lose my $10,000 blob. <laughs> so then we got a bunch of those little paddles that uh, you use for Bondo, right? Those little Bondo paddles, it's scraping down and it took hours and we were still doing it literally as we started filming. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, it makes you wonder because like you watch that scene with Debbie when she gets it on her face and you're like, oh my god like the poor actress or whoever who's in the sun for her like having to deal with that on her face yeah and because of that i thought for sure that brooke would never speak to me again <laughs> after that, putting her through that shit she's awesome man she's just like yeah let's do it again <laughs> it's amazing because so, sticky stuff on your face or on your no, body no no, no. no i feel like you're suffocating yeah. i'm yeah, terrifying so this is so far beyond sticky stuff because like- <laughs> Salter like, slime. <laughs> here, let's put it this way. If you walked up to her when she had the slime on her and you put her hand <laughs> on her face and then started to walk away, you would be connected to her even if yep. you were in like the next three rooms. <laughs> oh, yep. wow. Us, yep. uh, it it has that no much elasticity. It'll, it'll stick to everything. Oh, literally, and it doesn't stop. I mean, it is, it is like, literally, that's why you have to cut your way out of everything with scissors. <laughs> and it goes away. <laughs> right. Just goes to show, like, how much work goes into creating just, like, one aspect of one effect. And I find that so fascinating. And, it's, and you have to be so creative. And you did such a great job, for sure. Well, yeah, you know, the, the thing that the Nightmares did best, I, I really got to, if you take the Nightmares, you're going to learn how an effect is set up. Like, I wrote a book about Nightmare on Elm Street 4 that, that kind of gets to the jigs of this because it's interesting and kind of unknown. The things that really set some of the 80s effects apart is that we had gotten really good at combining things. And we had gotten good at the, at the sequence that became something. And the thing is, is an effect isn't just an effect. I mean, ask Nick about this. We had that sequence went over three, at least two locations, yeah. um, three sets. Yep. It, it had rear screen projection in it, and it started with, with her going up like this, right? Mm -hmm. The the arms break and bug arms come through, right? Mm -hmm. So those were all gelatin arms, right? Yes. Because when you showed up on set, there was literally... <laughs> there was you know literally... what? I think they were hot melt vinyl, but very similar material. 
Yeah, right. Like, like, yeah, that's right. That's when they started using hot melt, right? There was a buckets of arms sitting yeah. next. Sitting, <laughs> Kentucky sitting Fried right Arms. Of, no, seriously, your average bucket of arms. Your average. Great, great thing about it is in my book, there's a photo of the bucket of arms. Oh, it's, it's, it's hilarious. It's just like. The things you see. It's really fun to chase people around with them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you had a bucket of arms. You broke these gelatin arms and Pincers the claws come out. And, and here was the thing. I had trouble communicating with Screaming Mad George because he wasn't an communicator. You know, actually, you know, it comes as my job to be the communicator. Uh, being the production designer, I'm the one that had to go get and try and bring everybody up to speed and at least understand what was going on. And he's the one that I never understood because he, he held out a piece of silk, uh, like a floppy arm, and then showed me this uh, carapace wing, right? You know, the fiberglass wing, and, and says, well, this is what we're doing. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, I get it. <laughs> no, Which I really didn't. <laughs> I really didn't. No, I really didn't. And I kept going down there. And I, I went down there like every, every you know, I, I mean, this developed over like, uh, develop, development that I saw was like over a six week period. And I probably was there four, maybe five times. And I and the last time I left before we were on set, and there was a question is like, are you guys already? And I go, I had no fucking idea because I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> He's bringing some wings and a bucket full of arms. <laughs> no idea, no clue. And, and the thing is, is at no time were all these things brought together, and the effect of the of the storyboards was terrible. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the thing is, is particularly on that that particular uh, set of shots had bore no relationship to the storyboard. No, no, I mean, they didn't. not a bit. I mean, you know, you were like, wow, really? Because here's the thing. Every one of those elements was brought separately together. It's not like at any time there was a whole monster. There was like a whole uh, cockroach. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I had pictures of the whole cockroaches put together, but they were put together when they were up there. They weren't brought, you know, oh, here's one of those cockroaches you call for, sir. You mm -hmm. know, that, it wasn't that way. So you go through the trans, she's the in arms the break. location. The, the arms, arms break through, right? Then okay. the bug arms. Then, then she's she got the big off, bug arms. Right, and she goes off arms. screen and then Right. And then she's in that attic, which was like a set that was just like 120 feet long and went from <laughs> all the way from like about half the height of a person to 30 feet high. That was an awesome set. And the idea of it, and they filmed it wrong because they got the concept backwards, you know. But the idea was that as she was running along it, she was supposed to be looking smaller and smaller and it would have worked. They hadn't just gone with her aspect, but had come down, filmed it dropping like this. But, you know, trying to explain things to a DP and you're only going to get so fucking far. <laughs> <laughs> so the next set is her running down the hallway. But that is a great shot, though. It's her running, you know, ah! Yep. And then she's in the room with all the goo, which was a large version of one of those, you know, boxes. It was yep. absolutely the same, the same dimensions as the as the roach trap itself. And as we played the, the scene out there, I mean, even the relationship on her face of her relationship to the cockroach, George actually had taken cockroach and done screens inside of it that were pulled off. And the screens were then soaked with, with the goo, the ultra slime. Yep. And as they're pulled off, then the last one that comes out actually folds out so that the last one is actually wider than her face because I've seen it I've, I've watched it before frame by frame and and I've I pinned George about this and how is it that that it 
it's actually wider than her face. So, so anyway, the thing is, is it was our turn to play. <laughs> that, that whole film was about us playing, including the fact that the face of the of the Roach Motel, we just pulled a scrim over it and we rear projected the scene that of Freddie looking in at it, right? So when you see the eye in there, here's, here's the thing that's trippy about that. When you see the eye looking in the box, you could see that on set. They were playing against that eye on the set with the cockroach because it was done with rear screen projection as opposed to any kind of blue screen. Like mm. they, it was literally old school. And the thing that was great is like as the camera started up, it had to be the sync. You you had to turn the projector up or down to see it. And, and all of a sudden you would see a little bit of a frame. And then all of a sudden it would, as you slowed it down, it would open up and, uh, and then you'd see the whole thing. Neat. I have a question about the bucket of arms, obviously. <laughs> Was one of those arms used to be Kristen's arms in the fire? Kristen's arms at the very beginning when she gets dumped in, right? No, Kristen's death in, in her part room. four in her room when everybody runs into the room and it's engulfed in flames and there's like an arm hanging off the bed. It wouldn't be the same thing. Probably would melt. Yeah, no. It, yes. Actually, that was a, a set that we built in the parking lot. Wow. Uh, well, we had- Fire we had, scene, had, yeah. yeah. Right. It was a fire scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you have to remember we were do we were trying to do things fast. We were trying to get everything all put together <laughs> so that we'd be out and done by August. And so. you need to remember, going back to what Kelly said earlier, you know that we have to be really creative. You have to remember, as artists, we're half insane too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, see, you guys' answer to that is, well, you had an arm already. <laughs> <laughs> you had a whole bucket of them. And, and, and my thought buckets. was, and my thought was, well, you know, we'd have to shoot that at night, right? <laughs> Because <laughs> it had to be outdoors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. There, there gets to be like this whole inside lingo, you know, that begin. Yeah, like uh, all of us kind of know that when Ultra Slime's on the set, you're like, oh. <laughs> be careful. <clears throat> not that yeah. shit again. That's, that's, yeah, not that shit again. Oh, yeah, God. yeah. I think I, I think I still have some of my butt crack from last week. <laughs> Mick, during my Googling of you today, again, I wanted to make sure I didn't forget anything. Your book. I thought somebody stepped on my grave. Uh, <laughs> oh, <that was> Danced. <laughs> Danced. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I came across your book. So, folks, that is called Behind the Screams, The Dream Masters Revealed. And we're that, so that's all, that's all about Nightmare 4. It is super hard to get a hold of. You have to get a hold of me. And then I have to decide. And then I, 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 and then I ask you these questions three. I was just thinking, I'm like, you're gonna ask these questions three. Is your favorite color blue? Come on, uh, yeah. The other, the other cool thing I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> preach a little bit for him is he's in the process of writing the same type of book for three. It's, yeah. it covers everything you could possibly want to know and a whole bunch of shit you probably didn't even think to ask. Well, you know that. what? Here's, he's written especially about that last part. It's things that you didn't think. <laughs> Things that you didn't think to ask. I see people writing books about films that weren't there that get to spread the same bullshit. They're just another human being chain of a game of phone, right? 
And you will find that my book is not a game of phone. It's a bunch of guys that were there, and I know they're there. A lot of people didn't even know that any of those people worked on the film, right? Just happened to be that I was there, and and I was tracking people down. I have the first AD that was on the film that gave me a a black and white shot of the cockroach, amazing, uh, of one of the cockroaches on the set with her looking at it from the other side. It's really cool, and and nobody knows that 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 shot's out there. It just she just happened to have it, right? Well, that would be the interesting thing for both. Uh, yourself and Nick like to be able to tell stories from the ground like from working on these sets and working with the actors and people and all and you know the different stories that come up like you get that true like that experience where everyone else like you just hear the heresy from what was did kind of leak out I'll give you one that that from Nightmare on Elm Street 3 that very few people know (laughs) when when we did Nightmare on Elm Street 3 there are so many really hilarious stories about the the sequence with the uh, worm coming up, right? Okay. But one of the really funny ones was we did the mechanic part of the snake on the floor, coming across the floor, and then it heads up the wall, and you see the wall breaking, and the wall breaks, right? Then it goes back down again, right? And that part of the sequence, after the end of the show, I was originally working with Peter Chesney, and uh, at the end of the show, I kind of went over and, and and helped wrap some of the effects that I had helped set up before I went in our directed show. And when we were doing it, we got a call from the editors that said, look, we have a problem with this shot that you guys might be able to work out. And the problem was this. The problem is that the, the shot itself, the beginning of the shot where it's on the floor, you're looking across it, right? You're looking across the floor. And because that's the primary camera angle, all, you don't see anything linear. You just see that it's kind of, it kind of looks like a California California, any California floor during an earthquake. <laughs> and it's mixed, mixed, and then it goes up the wall, and all of a sudden you understand that it's a thing. Well, they said, here's the thing. We understand it going up the wall because we can see, we can see it, you know, going that snake-like pattern and then across the other wall and then and then down. Yeah. We understand that. Problem is, is the way that we're looking across the floor, we don't understand the same thing about the floor. Peter and I were like working it out. And when I said that the nightmares are a good example of how to work an overall, overall effect, this is part of what I mean. We had to put our heads together and try and figure out a way in which we communicate to you that there is a thing coming that is like like a snake right yeah so we came up with an idea we peter had an, an old uh 35 millimeter mitchell camera and we threw we threw a lens on it and we set it down on to look on the floor and then i went across the there was a um secondhand store because he was in the valley there was a secondhand store across the street that's sold rug. Now, if you'd known the valley back then, every place, there was a secondhand store across the street that sold rug. (laughs) It just was. I mean, you know, it's like all I would have, oh, you mean the place across the street? Yeah, all that one. Okay. So I went over there and I bought the $12, a $12 oriental rug, an old one, right? And we threw a bunch of leaves on it and I said, we need a piece of rope and a Clorox, maybe an old Clorox bottle. And he got a Clorox, literally a Clorox bottle poured the rest of the bleach out and then we tied the rope to the handle and we just rolled the camera and pulled the okay. pulled the Clorox bottle underneath it so that the Clorox bottle headed right at the camera. Here's the great thing. If you look at the film now, the very first scene that you see of the snake is actually that Clorox bottle. That's amazing. So, wow. So this is in the end, you know, considering all the makeup effects and, uh, you know, the snake and the all the complications of that particular rig probably made it, you know, an 80000 to to $100,000 back then shot. But it literally starts out with an empty Clorox bottle and a $12 <laughs> run. 
and that explains the whole shot it's amazing i love that i love how with effects that you can go from something like crazy cruel elaborate spend thousands of dollars to like something so simple as like a chloris well, bottle just being pulled under a rug and be like and everyone loves it like that's great but, but here's what i'm saying is there's thing is is you have to know in your mind you have to know how mm. scenes put themselves together i'll give you another really great example because there was involved in this too when we built an entire on Nightmare on Street 4 we built an entire upper theater balcony that literally goes up right on the side here like right now Peter sold that with the with the shot of the coke and the popcorn oh yeah fantastic effect that is that I was thinking about that last night yeah he still gets phone calls and people asking him how how that was done right exactly I yeah the other thing is is that yeah Lisa you know how when the shot comes down and you see her uh, uh, holding the edge right like this and being set towards the theater we then took just that edge and we went down into Hollywood and in Hollywood there was a building now now I love this because this is a hard thing to conceive of nowadays but there was an eight story building on Highland Avenue right at the intersection of Highland and um, right below Santa Monica there was an enormous Beacons building and it said Beacons first storage and what it was was essentially an eight story refrigerator and they would store your furs through the summer can you imagine what that place smelled like oh no I mean I never went I never went in it we didn't have to go inside thank god (laughs) yeah I I never had to go inside but the side of it doesn't have any windows what we did is we took these when when you see her and, and you see her let go, you see her go past these beams. Well, we took the beams and duplicated the ones in the theater, put them down the side of that building, and that's a fall that she does. So then we took that part that she's holding on to, and we attached it to a crane, and she goes up with a, a, a stunt person goes up with the crane, and goes up eight stories and falls onto a bag. And so the camera's looking right from about... So that, so that is an actual fall. Right. Wow. It, it, okay. it is an actual fall, and the camera is up four stories looking at it straight on like this. So, so that you look, it looks like it's going over your head and being sucked into the screen, and it's actually a fall. Nice. And I've I've had so many people call up that do effects, say, how did you did that? It's <laughs> a stunt. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Speaking of falls, because I rewatched Nightmare 3 today for this, Phillips tumbled <clears throat> down into nothingness. Mm. That was actually just a, a pretty simple fall. In fact, I think there's one of the uh, one of the scenes in its recut version. You can see the edge of the bag come up. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. And then it's like sharp, crisp Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Blu-ray. Blu-ray has a lot to answer for. I know. If you ever watch on the Blu-ray version, Teen Wolf, wide, right? Like this. And and literally when he's surfing on top of the van, you can literally see the cop motorcycle on both sides with flashing yellow lights, right? Oh. You're like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> go, oh, wait a minute. Uh, yeah. hey, uh, okay. yeah, take a ride. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. The usual. Oh, my favorite. Interesting stuff was what happened before that is 
like the whole minute we made rooms and sent them to the i can't remember the name of the guys uh uh who was doing the uh, pulling the veins out but we did get to see as soon as they had done the makeup effects with the pulling the veins out and they had done the uh the freddy head and we and we had done the puppying of him through the hospital right Mm-hmm. which was a huge rig with him, a, a, a rig that rode over him, that was holding onto the veins, you know, as he's being pulled along. Oh, no. I got to see, I got, when they first cut it all together, and oh my God, it was just uncut. It was like, you know, just the, the whole, ah, you know, you know, pulling the veins out. And <laughs> it was so fucking creepy. Ah. Oh, that scene is just creepy I, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, but seeing it uncut, seeing it like just put together from just just the quick cut put together of like the whole thing. It was like, oh, you walked out of the building, everyone's going, oh. holding your arms. I still think that just as a kill, that is the best out of the whole I agree. Series. Yeah. You know, it, it really just, it's just so dark. Disturbing. So, it's so disturbing. Really horrifying. Very disturbing too. The thing is, is I, I, I think that Nightmare on Elm Street 3 gets kind of the better kills, but I, I think that Nightmare on Elm Street 4 was kind of the better journey, you know? Yeah. You know, you know if you haven't thought about this, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, it kind of happened on 3, but the imagination comes into the journey. I tell people that the way that I designed the third one, it was very intentional. It was kind of like, you know, where all of a sudden one night you wake up uh, one morning you woke up as a kid and there was like this, 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 all of a sudden parked in the Kmart parking lot. Uh, so I, I have to adjust this for younger people. And by younger people, I mean, you know, 30 and 40 year olds. As opposed to <laughs> Kmart parking lot, you see a circus, right? You know, a, a little, you know, little circus, right? And I said, that's what this should look like. It should be that feeling of like all of a sudden this place is a circus, right? You know, and, and what was a parking lot is a circus. And then when I did Nightmare on Street 4, <laughs> my thought was, well, this one's Disneyland then. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the thing is, is it really is because thing that is interesting is not the moment that they die. The things that are interesting are the journey on the way. I mean, think of Freddie, think of, think of like uh, Kincaid dying. I mean, people complain that Kincaid's death was just a right you know but here's the thing he was there involved in the same sequence of freddie coming together Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and freddie's freddie's journey of coming from a bunch of bones that come together that that magically reassemble themselves you know and and a dog that pisses fire and the (laughs) dog is the only smart motherfucker out of everybody man. She <laughs> takes off. You remember what the dog does? It's the dog leaves. The dog's yeah. like, you know what? <laughs> like this. I, go, yeah. I go this far, but as soon as I'm pissing fire, I'm getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, like, the, you know, the dog was going down the line pulling whiskers going, oh, 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 <laughs> but it's the journey. That's the thing. That's what Nightmare on Elm Street 4 is, is. It's the journey. And a lot of times I think that we we miss that because even the best kills, even uh, the even the kill uh, of the uh, with the cockroach kill, it has a journey that's yep. inside of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that I've always viewed them as adventure films, maybe more adventure films than horror films. Oh, 
Well, we have somebody in the waiting room who will be able to defend Nightmare 3 with Jess. Okay. I am the wizard master. I am the wizard master. In the name of Lorik, Prince of Elves, Demon be gone. Ira. <laughs> hey. hey, Ira, how's it going? <laughs> Ira. Hello. I'm in now. Okay. He's here. Nice. Pull, pull your paw up and... No, you got it. <laughs> hey, man. Am I, I the only it. one rep am I the only one repping Nightmare 3 because it's number 3 versus number 4 that's what I hear. That's right. It Nick, is. Nick, yeah. has, Nick has done both so he's he's kind of in the on the fence here. Nick's on the fence. <laughs> thank goodness, thank goodness I got somebody else on my back here. I'm Nightmare 3. 100% Nightmare 3. You know that poster behind you I was discussing it with uh, somebody the other day about how how there's Ken Sagos is all the way on your to my left i yeah. think that's nancy in the middle and then the guy on the right holding the mace in the air you know yeah i think that's i think that's me I think <laughs> it would make sense for the Does fantasy it? because i'm the dungeons and dragons guy. yes so yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, and only a D, &D yeah. character would have a mace or know what that mace is <laughs> exactly so rodney eastman always thinks that's me bro that's me bro and i said no <laughs> not at all hey, hey, <laughs> not oh, in three oh. All, all you have to say is, "Hey, you you couldn't talk. How you how how are you how are you defending yourself right now? You couldn't talk. You can't even talk. You, you can't, can't even fucking talk. That's right. So so don't even think about speaking because you can't. And and you can't you can't. I I win. I win. But, by the way, but can I just say this for a moment? Your reaction to the song back in the saddle again was priceless i, I to this day that whole inner exchange between you and robert seems so fucking personal well you know it was personal and the fact that originally he was supposed to sing it you know back in the saddle again but couldn't afford apparent, it. <laughs> apparently there would have been a huge lawsuit so he just had to speak it instead I yeah, like it. I like it when it, it's spoken because it's way creepier. It's creepier, yeah. It's so it's so different, right? Yeah. It's, it's sort of like hell rap. <laughs> hell rap? Hell rap? Hell what, rap. What is, I know hell razor, but what's yeah. hell rap? What's well, hell rap? It's an early well, version. Freddy's rapping, rap. man. Rapping. <laughs> well, we have the Freddy rap at the end of Nightmare 4, like at the very end of the credits. And I... Oh, that's right. <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> Does, does anybody remember Will Smith's nightmare on his street? Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so Ira, give us give us your your spiel and your defense and your case for Nightmare Three. Well, Nightmare Three came before Nightmare Four, <laughs> and it has so, Ira. <laughs> so, How can you go wrong? So it doesn't doesn't even compare i mean you know we were the original warriors and then it kind of transcended into nightmare four which is totally cool and, and i have to tell you had chuck russell let me live i might have really uh been pushing for nightmare four you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. see how that works 
yeah. But then you would have died in Nightmare Four because that's that's you don't you you never survive a slasher. Like, has, has anyone ever like done survived two of those? No. No. Only only Ken and uh, and Rodney, right? And and Kristen. Well, Alice arrives at the end of Nightmare Five. Yeah, yeah, she Alice, does. Alice, yep. Alice got yeah. through. Yeah, but that's only two because uh, she was a new character on two. So that's still that's one true. For her. Probably if she yeah. came back one more time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One more time. Great sweater, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> also dressed for the part. Yeah. What? Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's fuck funny. Freddie, it's Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> scarier. Kelly's coming for your dreams, bitches. <laughs> oh, no. Yep. <laughs> Kelly, Kelly Krueger. Exactly. <laughs> A certain ring to it. KK. So, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I have a, just a little fun one. A little fun story about that hallway that we made that you died in, right? <laughs> we needed a hallway. We needed one super long hallway so that we could shoot you you know, and, you know, we put the planks and everything across the top of it and stuff. And we were like under the gun. And when I was being, <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to be a plasterer with my dad. And so I, I was raised plastering the inside of closets. And so I get down there with my, with my lead scene, because the one that does the plastering, I'm saying, look, man, we're, we're literally filming this tomorrow. And that hallway was like uh, 90 feet long. And, <laughs> And all we had was just raw flats. That's it. Just unpainted and everything. And we had to give everybody time to paint it and stuff. And it had no texture, no look to it at all. And so we we were plastering it. I, we were going to mix the plaster green, dark green to, like, give it the start of a look. And my scenic painter, Ox, he, he comes in and he goes, well, you know, he says, I'm pretty fast at this. <laughs> I, I said, do you need help with this? You want me to get a couple of guys over here? And go, no, no. He says, no, I'm pretty fast at this. And I said, well, I've, I've seen you plaster. I don't know. It's a, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how fast you are. And he goes, oh, yeah. So you, And by the way, I was the old man <laughs> because I was like 28. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember I was I was like 30 on Nightmare on Street 4. I, I, I was 29 on 3 and 30 on 4. And I was definitely old man on you're still the old man. <laughs> Damn, that's so, crazy. Did you see we what could, happened? We should have named you. We should have named you Plasterman. <laughs> so, so he he pulls. So I, I said, "Well, no problem." He says, "Yeah." He says, "Oh, you see me plaster, huh? You, you think you could beat me?" And I was walking around, and he goes, bah, 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 bah. And I was like. Oh, dude, you shouldn't have pulled the chicken on me. I mean, come on. So we had all together at least 100 and, uh, 180 feet, right? And uh, he got 20 feet before I met him. <laughs> I went down the other wall. So because the kid, cause I, kid was out of the closet, I went down the other wall, across the return, and all the way back and met him at 20 feet. Wow. <laughs> Little shit. Really? And, and, and I, I do realize that, you know, not only did I beat him, but he won because he only had to plaster 20 feet. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, you know, he did say he could do it fast. He didn't say yeah. he wasn't going to use you to do it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. He did get it done fast. He did, yeah. Yep. Peter Chesney did the rigging on the uh, chair. 
the way that it turned at the end was masterful. It turns around. It was and, so cool. It was so cool. That chair was really cool. <laughs> I have I have a picture of the two chairs. I think I told you this that I took from my regular camera. Yeah, I still have it. And I posted it on my Facebook page on the Ira Hayden um, Ira Hayden page, so you can see the two pictures that I took back in was that eighty six? No, eighty seven. No, yeah, eighty six. Eighty six. Eighty six. Yeah. Wait, yeah, how that's... old am I? <laughs> I don't know. How old am I? How old are we here? Just to let everybody know, the two chairs, one of them was made with very light materials and, and was the one that blew up. Cool. And, I, and the other's the one that turned and came and, and, and came after you. And uh, it, it, and so then you got to... <laughs> and we pulled yeah. it up in the air. Yeah, no, he, yeah, he did. Yeah, I was, yeah, his carriage did get lifted up in the air. I had the harness on me, I remember. Yep. There's one thing is they always attach those harnesses to your balls. Oh. <laughs> it, wait a second now. Mick, is that why my scream was oh. that's, that's <laughs> more effective oh. for screams. The way, the, the way we figure it, the way that we see it is that it's it, it's sort of a it's a method thing. Oh yeah. Of yeah. course. Of course. And then you're you know? definitely put in that method. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that scene, I feel like through the throughout Nightmare on Elm Street series, the the costuming is is quite good, except for Ira in your Dream Master Dream. I I don't, sir Wizard Master Dream. Was there maybe it was because of the rig? Like your shoulders are about up to here. Do you I know why was, or what that was? I think it's just the rig, like you said, and it's kind of the way it yeah, was all set up. But mm -hmm. I thought that cape was pretty cool. And yeah. And, uh, it's very Doctor Strange kind of type well, cape. <laughs> and but Ken Sagos always told me I needed to keep that cape because it would be worth a lot of money, and I never did. Um, yeah, I thought it was very maybe more Doctor Strange. Yeah, but it, you know they they tried to make it wizardry. You know, you didn't you didn't think so, Kelly? <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's definitely a wizard's cape. Are you are you shooting me down, Kelly? Thirty, 30 something years later, and you're saying yeah. no. <laughs> Poor choices. It just looks like you're wearing a whole bunch of shoulder pads, which you know was the aesthetic and look of the '80s. But it just—it was the '80s. Hey, exactly. hey. <laughs> we were just trying to distract everybody from what we did with Nancy's hair. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Well, hey guys, I gotta pop off, but I, I just wanted to be able to, to jump in and say hi, hi and thank you, uh, Nick, for bringing me in here really quickly. And uh, well, thank you, brother. I appreciate you showing up. Anytime, you. man. Hey, I, 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 I love my fans and I love my Nightmare on Elm Street three. So, same here, everybody. Always. <laughs> I'll think about I'll think about that cape. <laughs> okay, bye. All right, bye. <laughs> bye, thanks. Well, I don't know. Maybe we should start. We could start wrapping it up. Mick, you have given us some really great insight into both movies. An interesting, you know. Yes, no, for sure. Both points about that. journeys and kills. <laughs> <laughs> but Nightmare Four is still better. I, uh... I, I heard that. He's <laughs> <laughs> still here. I can't get out of here. He can't get out of here. Nightmare <laughs> three. He's lost. <laughs> oh my god, he's lost. Don't, don't, don't even go there. <laughs> Later, Ira. Bye.
earlier before uh, I was surprised by both Nick and Mick uh, appearing, we were talking about how Nightmare 3 as a sequel is very canonical and you know wraps up the story nicely whereas we get to this more imaginative creative version of Freddy Krueger going from you know a vengeful spirit to an actual dream demon you know who has this now ability to do whatever he wants like he's not held back by his original premise I guess you would say original vendetta right it, it's sort of like a, the version of the Cold War you know, yeah. <laughs> it's getting worse. Both sides are, are, are getting better armed. You know, we, mm-hmm. we had better people going in and yet Freddy is getting stronger, you know? Plus, but I have to say at the same time that there is nothing that you can argue that, that the Nightmare on Elm Street 4 is the best getting rid of Freddy in the whole series. Yeah. It is. It is definitely one of the best, like, endings to Freddy. The whole the mirror <laughs> scene. And then, of course, we get the, you know, the souls all like, oh, yeah, yeah. Now I'm thinking about it. Like, the hands, the little tiny hands coming out and ripping out his jaw. I was like, I'm really disturbed. And then we all know the Linnea Quigley scene. Now, 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 Nick, uh, Nick actually uh, was uh, one of the puppeteers on the little souls, you know, that are screaming and and is well. I have that puppet in my museum, by the way. Is cool. Well known, well known for having stuck his puppet rod into Robert's ear. Yeah. Was oh, stabbing, right. Stabbing him didn't didn't realize it because he's supposed to be screaming anyway. Yeah. So he started screaming, "Cut! I'm being stabbed." You know, nobody stopped. So the, qu- <laughs> the, the question is, uh, who has Robert's ear? Nick does. <laughs> <laughs> right here in the other room, yeah. <laughs> yeah, legit. Yeah, we didn't get into really like the Alice aspect, and I was kind of holding off a little bit when uh-huh. I was hoping Lisa would come in, and then I would fangirl out and just be tell her that, yes, that is the best ending in Death for Freddy, because even though, so Nancy is great because she's, she's Nancy already. Like she's already resourceful and smart and confident and she's that kind of character. And that's what our final girls usually are. They already have those traits inside of them inherently. Whereas Alice is the exact opposite. She is not that type of final girl. She is developed. She transforms and nobody else. And I've seen a lot of horror movies. (laughs) Nobody else goes through such a transformation in that way. And it's so wonderful to see. It's so empowering to see. And she's just so awesome. And that ending is incredible. It is actually one of the perfect horror character arcs. You know, it was, it's a character arc that is literally driven by the death of other people. Grim. Didn't think about that per se. I know, (laughs) of course, the deaths bring the special powers into her. Her, but well, I didn't right, think of but, it in that way. That's the whole thing is is she starts out this yep. little demure girl that doesn't mm-hmm. can't really yep. get out of her own way, but then through the power of her friends dying. Yes. <laughs> yes. They die, of course. But I didn't think it in like in such a grim way, I and mean, that's really great. Well, through not, the deaths of others, we get But stronger. I do horror films, so <laughs> <laughs> We should kill more people to gain strength. Well, we plan to. I mean, we're, we're, we're starting on something. We're going to be doing the yeah. same thing. We're going to be doing the same thing. Yeah. Transformative yeah. character, too. Yeah. Yeah. Those are always it the is. best. And character I, arcs. I would say I do love Alice's journey in Nightmare on Elm Street 4. It is one of my favorites. So the well, other biggest aspect of the of the movie, besides all the things that I already love about it, is is Alice. 
and right. she is truly unique. And after, you know, it's once the pandemic started, I've watched Nightmare 4 probably five or six times. I think six times now. <laughs> probably. Besides loving it, it actually is like a comfort horror film for me. It's, I love it in so many ways. I could recite it. I've seen it so many times since I was a teenager, probably like a hundred okay. times. You you need to read my book. I want your book. You, you do I gonna... am... Do I have the privilege of buying that from you in the future? Yes, and I sign it and I insult everybody. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Don't take offense because he's an equal opportunity asshole. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, I also have to say, besides I've watched this movie so many times during the pandemic because I love it so much, and I was going to rewatch it today for today, but I was like, I've watched it six times in six months or nine months, so I probably don't need to. But I want to say the watch along screening that you all, like literally all of you did a couple of months ago was the highlight of like my entire pandemic ex existence, but also I, my I, life. <laughs> it was so awesome. That's where I know you from. I, can't, I, can't, I know this. You were wearing a fit at that, right? Uh, yes, I was. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. I kept thinking, that I know from somewhere. Such right. a nerd. Yes, yes, I dressed up for it. The whole thing. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. But it was so fun. And, you know, the fact that Nightmare on Elm Street, just as a series, you guys are literally an entire family. Like, when you join the Elm Street crew, like, you're a family. And I love the chemistry between everyone. And you're so friendly. And you go to these conventions. And you do all these fun things together. And you're not, you know, ashamed to go back 30 years because, you know, people love this, th this work. Like people love these two movies and we still will for another 30 years. And I'm always just so grateful and happy that like actors or directors or special effects artists were, you know, they're, they're willing and open and, and happy to talk about old work that they have done because it's just so special to us fans. So I just really appreciate that so much. Thank you very much. We're working on a film called The House in the Pines. Mm -hmm. I'll be rec I'll be directing it, and uh, one of the interesting things about it was um, I gave them <laughs> a, a rewrite of the script, and when they get it, they say, "This is so cool! It's got such a great '80s feel." <laughs> and I was like, "You mean like a film?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh yeah, that, I meant that, like an '80s feel." <laughs> <laughs> Like, yes, 80s feel. Yeah, yeah, 80s feel. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what are you going to do? There you go. I don't know, Mick. I, I love what you're doing with what you're doing with the script and what you've given me to work with. So Yeah, there you go. Well, you, you, you get to resurrect the deer. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I want to thank you guys. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, really thank you happy. so much for coming on. Thank you both. Yes. And thank you. Surprised. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for surprising my co-host. It was really, really hard for me to keep the secret. But I've been thinking and planning this for months, Jess. So. Oh. Yes. Yes. I, I'm assuming so. We will talk later. <laughs> yes, we will. Um, but thank you to Nick, really. Um, yes, thank you, Nick. And for, for getting folks out. And hopefully we can do this another time because I love all of you and you bring me such joy. So. Anytime. Oh, you know yeah. I love you, girls. <laughs> You guys are awesome. Thank I know, you so thank much. you. All right. Well, Jess and I are going to do like our outro, but we don't need you two for that. So. Okay. Bye. <laughs> bye. Okay, yeah. bye. Okay. bye. Fucking A. Okay. So that was our big, wonderful, magical, 
Excellent. Spinster versus spinster. Nightmare on Elm Street part three versus part four. Does everyone feel bad for Jessica that she was literally ganged up on? <laughs> but I appreciate, I appreciate Mick's insight. It was very nice. Because uh, I also will say that I don't dislike Nightmare on Elm Street 4. I do like it. I appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. But I am also a canonical person. I like... Not mm-hmm. as fair. <laughs> Opinions can be wrong. And that's okay. Well, we're going to sign off. And hopefully you guys all enjoyed this. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.